And if you would grab your Bibles and turn to me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I know. I know. Just Colossians. I forgot where that is. We've been in John for a year. We have been. But here's, here's what I want to do. We had a small change in the sermon schedule uh, where basically uh, I have an extra week. For so long, I was trying to cram in John because I didn't have enough weeks, and in that process, we opened up a week. And so here's what I want to do is I want, uh, well, let me back up. In John, in our sermon series, we're in John 19 and 20, which is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want us to take time, and we will look at those passages. But what I want to do tonight is I want to look at Colossians and look at the theological reality of John 19 and 20. All right, so this is still in line with what the focus of John 19 and John 20 is that we're studying in the next few weeks, but I want to take a moment and look at Colossians 3 with the theological implications of John chapter 19 and 20 and allow that to be just an encouragement uh, to us. If you do not have a Bible, I encourage you just to grab one of those Bibles in the seat back in front of you. If you grab the black hardback ESV Bible, in just a moment, I'll tell you what page we're on as soon as I can find it myself. What is the page? 984. Perfect. Colossians chapter 3 on page 984. We're going to look at the, verse, the first four verses. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If you're there with me, simply say amen. Amen. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Hey, here's kind of the main idea, which is just straight from the text that I want to encourage us with tonight. The target statement is simply this, pursue the things above. Pursue the things above. If you have been raised with Christ, we're just going to kind of take it phrase by phrase. If you then have been raised with Christ, this is the contingent question that introduces us into our text. We understand that Paul, talking to the church in Colossae, just starts the statement, if you then have been raised with Christ. Now, it helps to understand just a quick textual understanding of, uh, we see this in Ephesians, we see it in Colossians. Uh, both Ephesians and Colossians were likely written close together. It's even possible that he wrote Ephesians, sent it off, turned around and wrote Colossians and sent it off. We know this because so many phrases are the same. He had a little uh, the same ideas in mind. But in both books, we see part one and part two to each of these letters. Part one is here are theological truths of, that you need to know. Like, here's, here's, the, here's the facts about the gospel. Here are theological foundational truths. And then the second half of the letter turns into, now, because of these truths, here's how you are to go live your lives. Ephesians 4 literally transitions. Therefore, based off everything I've just said, go walk in a manner worthy of the call of which you've been called. So there's this picture that is happening here in verse three, verse, or chapter 3, verse 1 as well. It's that transition from the first half to the second half. So basically saying, if everything I've said about Christ and the gospel and what he has done, if that is true for your life, this is now what it means for your life. 
if you have been raised with Christ, here's now what you are supposed to do with your life. I know our lives can be complex at times. We've got a lot of things to juggle. We've got work. We've got school. We've got just difficulties of New York City. We've got to figure out how to park with it pouring down rain in order to get to church. We've got a lot of small things, big things that can be complex in our lives. And sometimes we can make the Christian life pretty complex as well. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got these traditions. we got all these different things. we got all these truths. We've got this, this, and this. And, and here's what Paul's saying, and here's what I want to encourage us with tonight. It's real simple. If you're in Christ, here's what you're supposed to do. So this is going to, it's going to be this simple. If you have been raised with Christ, here's the challenge. Seek the things that are above. It's a question of focus. You know, if we have a goal in our life, whether it's an educational goal, whether it's a work goal, whether it's just, hey, I want to get from point A to point B, it's helpful to know what point B is. It's helpful to know what our target is. And you and I live our lives, whether we realize it or not, seeking something. We have a target. We have a goal. We have something that is at the center of our lives, something that is taking up our time, taking up our thoughts, taking up our resources. We have something in which we are focused upon. And, and Paul's saying, hey, if you are in Christ, that target must be the things above. You are to pursue the things above. Just to give some verses in to kind of support this idea, to paint the picture Paul would say this in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. He's talking about, obviously, a few things, but one of which is the, the core and focus. It is not my life in which I choose to do what it, I want with it, but it is now Christ's life and Christ living within me. Romans 6 says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We are buried, therefore, with him in the into the uh, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You and I have this newness of life, and we're challenged to seek the things that are above. Now, what does it mean to seek the things that are above, and why are we to seek the things that are above as opposed to things that are horizontal or to the left or the right? What's significant about the idea of above? Now, I think we get it because even in a culture that's not very Christian, we still have this idea that, that God is in the heavenlies above. But Paul gets quite explicit. We are to seek the things that are above. Why? Because that is where Christ is. You and I, having been in Christ, being crucified with Christ, raised to life in Christ, we are to live our lives simply seeking the things that are above. Why? Because that's where Christ is. As if to say, now that we are in Christ, we should actually seek Christ with our lives. It's real simple. What is the Christian life? It means that Christ has saved you. Now for go and live focused on him. We are to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, these are simple short phrases that, are, that seem quite obvious, but I want us to make sure we see fully just all that Paul is saying. When you think about seating at the right hand of God, last night I was reading the Bible story with our kids. We go to bed and we read a Bible story and then we read another book, uh, just of some sort, a novel. Um, right now we're reading Where the Red Fern Grows. Anybody ever read that book? One of my favorite books growing up. Um, it has nothing to do with anything in the sermon. The Bible part I'm getting back to does. 
Uh, but read the where Red Fern grows. It tells you a little bit about life in the South. Um, um, anyways, not getting into that. But in the Bible story, part the Bible story was about the disciples bickering and fighting over who was going to sit at the right hand of Jesus in his glory. And it was why? Because they understood that that was a place of prestige. It was a place of honor. And Paul is saying that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And this is a picture that's given all throughout this place of prestige at the right hand of God. Psalms 110 says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Luke 22, But from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Acts 5, God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. When Stephen in Acts 7 was being martyred, he looked up and it said, Behold, I saw the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Ephesians 1.20, that he worked in Christ, talking about the power uh, talking about the power of the Father, the power of the Father, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him where? At his right hand in the heavenly places. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance, the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We're beginning to see this picture. The fact that Jesus is in above at the right hand of the Father speaks to who he is and what he has done for us. That he is the victorious one who conquered life for us. He is the victorious one in which we are, he is king, and we are to honor him with our lives. Therefore, Paul would write, if you are in Christ, seek Christ above at the right hand of the Father. Seek him there. As we seek him, I ask the question, or as we are challenged to seek him and pursue him above, I ask the question, what are you pursuing in this life? We can pursue a lot of things, and I'm not to say that we should never pursue the things here on earth. That's not the point. The point is this. What you pursue above all is what you worship above all. And the challenge that Paul is giving is, hey, as you live life, I understand that you, we've got to work and we've got to do these things. But at the same time, our focus should be first and foremost seeking the things of God above, seeking Christ above. What you pursue above all is what you worship above all. Because what we pursue above all is what we give our heart to, our mind to, our affections to, our time to, our, our finances to. And he's saying what that should be, should be Christ above so I ask the question, an honest question, what do we pursue above all? I had already referenced one Southern thing, so let me reference another Southern thing. Um, many of which, uh, I don't know that many people knew that up until middle school, I grew up on a ranch. And part of growing up on a ranch is I was around horses and cows and chickens and the typical thing that you expect. And I remember one day I was behind two um, particular horses, and they were pulling or a horse-drawn carriage, and we were just, actually, we were going, and we were just picking up a bunch of, we're cleaning up the fields, and we're making this huge bonfire about the size of this church building. It's fantastic, but we spent a year. We do it once a year, but we'd spend all year just gathering trees that have fallen, and anyways, we were, we were doing that, and I was 
uh, in the horse-drawn carriage, and I remember asking, it wasn't my dad, it was another uh, gentleman, hey, why do horses have blinders? Like, they have the, these horses have their blinders on, like, why? Why is that necessary? And there's a number of reasons uh, to that, but the primary reason is it helps keep them focused straight ahead helps keep them focused in the direction that you're going because it's so easy because horses struggle to see in front of them because if you look, their eyes are kind of on the side of their head. And so it's easier to see to the side. And without clear direction, they will wander to and fro if there's not clear guidance for them. I don't know about you, but there's so many times my life needs blinders. There's so many times that I get distracted from this or to that and forget what God has placed and called me to right ahead. And we often, as Christians, and I imagine the church in Colossae, which is why Paul's encouraging him, hey, them, that, hey, keep your focus on what matters. If you're in Christ, that changes everything. And part of that changing everything is that your focus should be on Jesus above, and we pursue him above all else. Just some a couple of encouragement points along the way that we see that just kind of supports this challenge is in verse 2, we see what I'm going to call practicing his presence. There's a phrase that may not have much meaning to you, but I'll explain in a second. But look at verse 2. It says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. If verse 1 is the overall challenge, pursue the things that are above, and then he gives the secondary supportive challenge to set your mind on the things above. As if to say, setting your mind on the things above is a means in which you pursue the things that are above. I'm called this thought, verse 2, practice his presence. That's the challenge. We pursue the things above by practicing his presence. What do I mean by that? It's the title of a book I was, um, summer after high school, I spent a semester in Brazil. I was living in Brazil, and I was in a village far, far away from civilization. No cell phone, no internet. I had electricity that controlled two light bulbs in the house I was living, and that was it. And part of because there wasn't a lot of technology and electricity, the house was right next to a church, and in that church was a washer and dryer. Once again, the church didn't have the power hookup for the washer and dryer, but someone gave it washer and dryer, and so the washer and dryer became a bookshelf, literally. Nothing but books were just thrown in there. And so one day, I was wandering around. I discovered that. No one told me that. I discovered, oh, there's a bunch of books in here. And I came across a book by Brother Lawrence and Frank Loudbeck in English. Most were in Portuguese, but this happened to be in English. And so, of course, I read it because what else was there to do at that particular time in the day? And so I read it, and it's become one of my favorite, favorite books of all time. It's a book by Brother Lawrence, I believe, if I can remember correctly, 16th century. Frank Lowndbeck was tw- early 20th century. Uh, a monk in the 16th century, a missionary in the early 20th century. Someone found their journals, and both of them wrote journals 400 years apart on the same question. And then they took their journal entries that answered that question and put them in the book called Practicing His Presence. But here was the question. Is it possible to think about God every minute of every day? Is it possible to have God on my mind every minute of every day? And their journals was recording this experiment. They would journal at nights. Today, I thought about God one minute out of every hour. This progress more than last time. And they would talk about it. And they would talk about the impact of constantly trying to think about God every moment of every day. 
And it wasn't just about, okay, accomplish it. I think about God every moment of every day. And it's not to say that they were trying to think about God and think about nothing else. But the idea was, if I have God on my mind, and in every moment of every day I'm thinking about him, even through menial tasks, how does that change that task? I think it was Frank Glaubenbeck who said that one of his most impactful worship moments he's ever had was one morning when he was brushing his teeth, simply because in that moment he had God on his mind, and God, he just had a, an, just an impactful worship moment. His point was that it's in the small, menial things when we set our mind on the things above that God invades those things and transforms them. They go on to talk about one of the unique takeaways from both of them is that when they, and they, remember the book's called Practicing His Presence, because it's like, can we stay in the presence of God, meaning intentional God on our minds every moment of every day. What they began both to describe was what problems that seemed like mountains became simple speed bumps. That God transformed situations. They, and it wasn't as much that God changed the problem or the issue, the thing around them, but in fact that through God's perspective, they saw it from his perspective and it transformed how they approached every situation they were facing. I think this is partly the idea of what Paul's getting at here in verse 2. Is that we set our mind on the things that are above, not on the things on earth. That is not to say that we are so heavenly minded that we have no earthly good, meaning that we're so focused on the things of God that we have no benefit to the world around us because we ignore the world around us. I'm not saying that, but it is to say that our focus is not here. Our focus is there, and we allow that focus and that perspective to live through us here as we live our life. And as we do that, that is how we, one of the ways we practically pursue the things that are above is that we fix our minds on the things above as we live out here on earth. We practice his presence. And as we seek, our, put our mind on him, that's why we meditate on Scripture. That's why we read Scripture. That's why I encourage us to start our day with a one-year reading plan or some type of reading plan, to have God's Word on our mind, to think about that. It's also one of the reasons why um, I, I saw this firsthand when moving uh, to New York, is that our first apartment, uh, previous tenants, I, I assume, were Jewish, because in the Old Testament, it talks about putting different things on the doorpost, and so the idea is that anytime you enter or exit a house or you see these things, you see the Word of God. Constantly putting the Word of God on your mind, constantly putting the things of God on your mind, that you, you put things in your place, you do things so that you're constantly reminded of the things of God. This is what Paul's saying. Let us live in such a way that not just on Sunday afternoon we think about the things of God, but every moment of every day, our mind is focused on Christ and His glory and His will. We're seeking Him. Our minds are on the things above and allow that then to transform the things below. That as we seek him and his kingdom, we allow his glory and his kingdom to transform our minds and our hearts and our perspectives and allow us to go live differently. Again, we're not unpacking John 19 and 20, but these are part of the implications of the resurrection. The death and the resurrection of Jesus is that we have been raised with Christ, that we have been seated with Christ. Look at verse 3. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. I want you to catch the logic. If you are raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. 
Why seek the things above? Because Christ is there at the right hand of the Father. So set your minds on that. And not only is Christ there, but if you, but if you are in Christ, then you are heirs with him. Therefore, your eternal life is there. He's making the connection all the way from if you've been raised with Christ, we seek the things that are above because Christ is there. But not only is Christ there, but technically your uh, citizenship is there. Your, your life is there. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Meaning our life, our eternal, our everything is wrapped up in Jesus. That's why Ephesians 2 would say that you have been raised with Christ. It's even, it even says it here in this first verse, if you have been raised with Christ, it's, it's one word that in the Greek that's just kind of saying you were with him. Like it, it's, it's, it's not this idea, well, he was raised and then you were raised, but the idea is that he was raised and you were raised with him. Y'all are one, that your resurrection is linked to his resurrection. If he has not been resurrected, you have not been resurrected. And Romans 6 would make it clear that if Christ can never die again, then you can never die again. Because our entire life is wrapped up in him. So why do we seek the things that are above? Because Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father. And if he's there, then that's where we belong. And so it's a call and a challenge to live for the things above because that's your home. Have you ever had a conversation or maybe your parents said this? I know, um, I know my parents did many of times. Maybe when I had acted up or done something or misrepresented in a way for my family or something, there was a challenge to say my dad would sit me down and would challenge me and encourage me to live in a certain way, and he would say this statement, you represent our family. You don't just represent you, you represent me. You represent our name, you represent that. And then not only do you represent us, but as a, someone who calls himself a Christian, your actions represent Christ. What was he doing? He was connecting that how I live my life should be reflected by who I am, not only as a nation, but then ultimately as a Christian. This is what Paul's saying. We seek the things above because don't you know that that's where your family is? You are in Christ. That is your home. You represent Christ. So seek the things above. Allow his life to forever change you rescue you, save you, and then now represent Christ here on earth. Represent that name. Wear that name proudly. I love the World Cup for a number of reasons, but one of which it brings out pride. I love the World Cup, especially in a church like this where so many people didn't, don't necessarily call the United States their first home. And so they have other homes that there's pride for and representing. Well, I love the idea of that pride because we're proud of who we are. Well, in the same way, Paul's saying, hey, you're in Christ seated above. Be proud of that. Seek that. Have your mindset on that and live for that because that's where Christ is and that's where your eternal home is. But guess what? One day, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, he's your everything. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. It's a beautiful thing to think about the victory of his appearance. We understand that Christ has already won the victory for you and I, that you and I have the ability to be raised to life because of the victory that he's won. But there is a victory that comes with his appearance. Revelation 19 gives a picture of this. I'm not going to read it, but it talks about Christ when he returns and the victory that comes with him. But the victory is that one day we get to be with him above. 
So if we've been raised in Christ, we pursue the things above. Why? Because that's where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father, and that's where your life is held. And one day Christ is returning, and he is going to invite you and bring you back fully into his new creation that he has made, that is the a heaven coming to earth, and you will get to be with him above. The picture of that in the heavenly realms. And so, Christian, it's a simple challenge. It's really a, a pursuit challenge. It's a focus challenge. It's simply to say, what is it that your life is focused on the most? And then I'm confident, it's human nature, that what we're focused on, we're going to run after. So it's simply a question of, where are you aiming? What are you looking at? What is your focus? I want to encourage you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I just want to take us through a moment of, of answering that question before God. I want to ask you just to take a moment and and go, what am I pursuing above all? Because what I pursue above all is what I worship above all. Well, Paul would say in verse 2 that what your mind is fixed on is a pretty good evidence of what you are focused on. And so what does, what, what takes up the majority of your thoughts? What is it that your mind's thinking about when you wake up in the morning? Christmas is coming, and I can tell you one thing. My kids wake up on Christmas Day. They got one thing on their mind, presents. You know, even us pastors, we struggle to get our kids thinking about Jesus first on Christmas Day, but that's all right. But they're thinking about one thing. They're excited because one thing's on their mind. My question is, when we wake up tomorrow, is the first thing that's going to come through our mind is I get a day to spend with Jesus today. That's not a guilt statement. It's just a challenge. What, what is it that our minds wake up thinking about? What is it that we daydream about? Might we be people who practice his presence, who allow our minds to daydream about Jesus and his goodness in our lives? What, what do we spend our time on? Not only do where do we spend our thoughts, where do we spend our time, our free time? Because a lot of, some of our time isn't up to us between work and other things. But when we have free time, where do we spend it? That will show us what matters most. And that's not to say that you, all your free time must be spent studying. That's what the monks did, and I, I don't know that that's the right answer necessarily. But we could use a few more moments like that maybe in our lives where we do turn the TV off, put the phone down, and just spend time in His Word. What about finances? Where do we spend our money? That shows what we value. Our relationships. Take a moment and just look at your life and go, if you were to objectively look at your life, what is your life pursuing? And I just want to encourage us that Christ has rescued us. Let our lives pursue Him and His glory. Let our lives seek Him and His glory. Jesus, we're so grateful for You. And Father, I pray over this room. I pray for every person in here. First and foremost, if there's someone who does not know You, who wouldn't fit in the category of verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, 
If there's anybody in here who would say, you know what, I haven't been raised in Christ yet. I have not put my faith and trust in Jesus, that today would be the day for salvation for them. That today would be the day that they realize, I need Jesus with, for my life. Because verse 4 says, when Jesus, who is your life, appears, you're our hope. You're our life. You're the only hope we have. So I pray that, Jesus, they would find their life in you. And for those of us who would say yes to the question, if your life is in Jesus, if you have been raised with Jesus, if we say yes to that, might we be a people who find our satisfaction in you and seek after you and pursue you above all? That you're first. And then as we set our minds on you and as we seek you, allow that to transform how we live our days for your honor and your glory. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Goffles Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.